God certainly gave us a wake-up call this morning. <laughs> I thought there was one, uh, one blast of lightning that seemed like it was next door. <laughs> so, anyway, um, we're going to pray over our offering here in a moment. Um, but just to kind of refresh your memory, there are a lot of different ways you can give to the church. You can do it uh, via the website or via our app. You can do it via text message. You can give via cash or check. All of those ways are, uh, are certainly open and welcome. Uh, but before I pray over the offering, just wanted to share with you a brief thought on um, this topic of giving. And this comes from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. And it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, this passage was written by Paul to the Corinthian church, and he's using this idea of an agricultural reference as an analogy for a, a financial gift that they were going to give to this, uh, the church in Macedonia, which was pretty poverty-stricken at the time. Now, I'm sure that a lot of you have heard a message, or at least two, focused on this verse, where the emphasis is placed on the fact that we will reap in proportion to how we sow. Now, I want to look at this a little bit differently, just in this brief moment today. I'd like to ask the question, why would somebody choose to sow sparingly? I want to reap gem generously, and I'm going to assume that you as well want to reap generously, and I don't know that I've ever met anybody that didn't want to reap generously. It's kind of human nature, I think. And so perhaps the real reason why someone might sow sparingly is fear. Fear of not having enough of other things. Fear of the gifts being mishandled by the person or the organization it was given to. Fear of running out, fear of not getting more. Well, here's the point that I want to share. Fear prevents freedom. Fear of not having enough will never allow you to give freely. So as you give, may it be done freely, without fear, with the continuing reminder, a promise made to us in verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we can always trust in you. You are an abundant God. And out of your great love and mercy, you have given us so very much. And so as an act of our heartfelt gratitude, we give you our tithes and our offerings. With them, we worship you and acknowledge your blessing upon us. Please now take them and use them for your kingdom and your glory. Extend and multiply their reach and influence. May they be a great blessing to many. And we ask this all in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. A little intro to our 
This is the last of our Lenten series, as this is the last Sunday of Lent. And we've been doing this series called Grounding. And it, the idea of it was to sort of ground us in our faith as we head into this time of Easter. So I have always loved music. I think maybe part of that is the fact that my mother was a professional musician. Um, and, like, and like most people, I'm very attached to the music of my g generation, which is now referred to as classic rock. I guess so I'm classic pastor. <laughs> and I, I've always been fascinated with song lyrics and knowing what a song is about or what it's saying. And I found that it's not always easy to figure that out, right? So uh, sometimes I think a song's lyric is exactly what it's portraying. Take Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles, for example. Tells the story of two lonely older people. So that one's fairly clear. Sometimes this, the meaning of a song might be metaphoric. And I think Alicia Keys' Girl on Fire is an example of that. The, the phrase, this girl is on fire, is a metaphor for freedom, for taking full control over how you or she lives her own life. Now, <laughs> sometimes the lyrics really don't mean anything at all. They're just snippets of ideas that sort of sound good together. And the example I've chosen for this was You Can Call Me Al by Paul Simon. <laughs> See, Paul himself said when he was talking about this song, he says, then it has a chorus that you can't understand. What is he talking about? You can call me Betty, and Betty, you can call me Al. You don't know what I'm talking about. But I don't think it's bothersome. You don't know what I'm talking about, but neither do I. <laughs> and, and then there's sometimes when the lyrics are intended to mean one thing, but when the song is actually recorded, the meaning changes. And one such song was the song, Who Are You? by The Who. Now, the original song, when he wrote it, was based on a day in, in the life of Pete Townsend. He had, uh, he'd had a very long meeting with record executives about song lyrics um, that went on and on and on. He was so frustrated and upset that he uh, ended up going to a bar afterwards, and he seriously overindulged in um, what they had to offer. And so then he left the bar, and he ended up passing out in a doorway in the Soho section of New York City. And a policeman's walking by, recognizes him, and tells him, look, if you can walk home, I'm, I won't arrest you, or, or there'll be no trouble to you. So he does, and then gets up the next day and has a fairly severe hangover and writes the song at that point. But in 1985, he was interviewed about the song, and he says that the song came out differently than he intended when um, Roger Daltrey actually sang it. He said the song actually became a prayer from a destitute man. And the man is on the street, and he's looking up at the sky, and he's asking God, who are you? Who are you? And that very sentiment lies at the heart of the passage we're going to look at today. Now, the passage is John 12, verses 12 through 19, and it's John's version of the traditional passage that's read on Palm Sunday. And uh, 
Obviously, the passage is documenting Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But at a very much deeper level, I believe the passage challenges us to ask the very same questions about Jesus as the destitute man in the song asks about God. Who are you? So let's look at it now. We're in the Gospel of John. This is chapter 12, looking at verses 12 through 19. And verse 12 starts out, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And what struck me about this passage was that I, you can find four perspectives or four beliefs about who Jesus was to the people in this particular story. Now, the people in the story were all, in one way or another, following Jesus. But they were not all following the same Jesus. So the question that's going to sort of form the basis for the message today is, who is the Jesus that you are following? And the text is going to show us that there are four possible answers to that. Is the Jesus that you are following only a great leader or teacher? Is the Jesus that you're following just a curiosity? Is the Jesus that you're following a threat to your status quo? Or are you following the Jesus who is God Almighty? So let's dig into that a little bit. And so first of all, are you following the Jesus who is only a great leader or teacher? You see, Jesus openly declared who he was when he entered Jerusalem. And he did it on a donkey, and he knew it was a direct fulfillment from Zechariah 9.9. Yet, by riding a donkey rather than a war horse, he was also making a declaration that he was not the kind of Messiah that everybody was thinking that he was, or that they were expecting. See, he had come to bring peace, not to wield a sword. And so they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is sort of uh, a modern or it's an old time equivalent of what we would today would shout out, Hooray. <coughs> because they thought that <coughs> this conquering king had finally come and was going to liberate them from the oppression of Rome. They believed that the one who came in the name of the Lord was the king of Israel. But the people who were praising God for giving them a king had the wrong idea about Jesus. They were sure that he was going to be this national leader and he would restore their nation to its former glory. And in thinking that, they were completely deaf to the words of their prophets and, 
and they were obviously blind to the real mission that Jesus had in mind. And when it became apparent that Jesus was not going to fulfill their hopes, they turned against him. 2,000 and some years later, people still say the same thing about Jesus. Now this blew me away. There's a Newsweek article that was dated March 19, 2021, so just about a week ago. They quoted a survey conducted by uh, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research. I think that's how you say it, Ligonier. Anyway, 52% of American adults said Jesus was a great teacher and nothing more during his lifetime. 52%. Now here's the kicker. Nearly one-third of the evangelicals in the same survey agreed that Jesus was not God. Are you following that, Jesus? Or are you following a Jesus who's just a curiosity? You see, part of the crowd that day consisted of a group of people who had seen Jesus call Lazarus up from the dead. And those who'd seen this happen were telling others about it. They were bearing witness to what they had seen. And they were probably telling them that such a person that could do this would certainly deliver the Jews from Roman rule. So many of the common people, having heard about this Lazarus event, came out to see Jesus. But public miracles do not always produce personal faith. And this statement emphasizes the superficial enthusiasm that possessed most of the people that were there cheering for him. They flocked to Jesus because they'd heard about this great miracle, that he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. But this adoration was short-lived, and their commitment was very shallow, because in a few days they don't do anything to stop his crucifixion. So we see that devotion that's based only on curiosity or popularity fades quickly. Are you following that Jesus? Or are you following the Jesus who is a threat to your status quo? See, the Pharisees were very distraught at seeing this careful plan that they had constructed to sort of take Jesus away quietly was literally going up in smoke. Uh, at this point, they're helpless, and there's really nothing they can do. Jesus is now appearing in public, and he's appearing openly. And even though they knew exactly where he was, they couldn't arrest him because he was so popular uh, by the by all of the crowds that were there. They held him in high esteem, at least at that point. Now the Pharisees kind of sniffed dismissively at this group, this crowd, effectively saying that these people don't even know the law. So they're very determined to distance themselves from, from Jesus' supporters. You can kind of imagine the tone of voice that they would use when they'd said this. They regarded themselves as being infinitely superior to the common herd of people. They, after all, they knew the Torah. And they keep to these, exi these exacting standards 
that most of the people wouldn't even understand. And the problem was that throughout his ministry, Jesus made very apparent his disdain for the Pharisees and for the very exacting standards that they held to. Jesus was calling people to live differently. Jesus is still calling people to live differently. And just as it was with the Pharisees, this way of life that Jesus is calling us to can threaten our comfortable status quo. Are you following that, Jesus? Or are you following the Jesus who is God Almighty? As I said, Jesus openly declares who he is when he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey in direct fulfillment of that passage from Zechariah, which says this, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, even the disciples still hadn't really grasped who Jesus was. And they'd been with him longer than anybody. And so as they're writing their, in, a, in effect, kind of their memoirs, or they're writing the story of this Jesus years later, John openly admits in this passage that we read that it was only after the glorification of Jesus, probably meaning his resurrection and his ascension, did they really start to understand what had happened, what had really transpired, who this man really was. And like the disciples, our faith may have a slow formation. But hopefully, whether it happened immediately or whether it happened over time, you no longer have to look up at the sky and wonder, who are you? Hopefully, you've come to the conclusion that Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. Hopefully, you've come to the conclusion that Jesus embodied the covenant, fulfilling the commandments and reversing the curse. Hopefully, you have come to the conclusion that he is Jesus, the Christ, that God spoke of. The Christ prefigured to Noah in the flood. The Christ promised by Abraham. The Christ prophesied through Balaam before the Moabites. The Christ guaranteed to Moses before he died. The Christ promised to David when he was king. The Christ revealed to Isaiah as the suffering servant. The Christ predicted through the prophets and the Christ prepared for through John the Baptist. Are you following that, Jesus? The greatness of God is most clearly displayed in his Son. And the glory of the gospel is only made evident in his Son. That's why having the correct answer to the who are you question is so crucial. And I think this question is doubly crucial in our day because not every Jesus is the real Jesus. See, there's the Republican Jesus. He's against tax increases and activist judges. He's for family values, and he's a big proponent of owning firearms. Amen. <laughs> 
Then there's Democrat Jesus. And who's, he's against Wall Street and Walmart. He's for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's therapist Jesus, who helps us cope with life's problems, heal our past, tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's Starbucks Jesus. He drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversation, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. There's open-minded Jesus, who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for people who are not as open-minded as you are. There's touchdown Jesus. He helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians, and he determines the outcome of the Super Bowl. There is martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death, so we can feel sorry for him. There's gentle Jesus, who was meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, walks around barefoot, wearing a sash, and looks very German. There's hippie Jesus, who teaches everyone to give peace a chance, imagines a world without religion, and helps us remember that all you need is love. There's yuppie Jesus, who encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars, and buy a boat. There's spirituality Jesus, who hates religion, churches, pastors, priests, and doctrine, and would rather have people out in nature finding the God within while listening to ambiguously spiritual music. There's platitude Jesus, good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, bad sermons, inspiring people to believe in themselves. There's revolutionary Jesus, who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man, and blame things on the system. There's Guru Jesus, wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you to find your center. There's Boyfriend Jesus, who wraps his arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. There's Good Example Jesus, who shows you how to help people, change the planet, become a better you. And then there's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Not just another prophet, not just another rabbi, not just another wonder worker. He was the one Israel had been waiting for, the Son of David, Abraham's chosen seed the one to deliver them and us from captivity. The goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh, the one to establish God's rule and reign, the one to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and to proclaim the good news to the poor. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. This Jesus, my Jesus, hopefully your Jesus is not a reflection of the current mood or the projection of our own desires. Who is he? He's our Lord and God himself. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying 
than we ever thought possible. Let's pray. Father, I pray that for all of us, those gathered here and those watching online, that they would come to see you for who you truly are. The Jesus of no particular cause other than the salvation of mankind. Father, we thank you You don't understand so often why you do things that you do or the way that you do them, but all we can do is stand in awe and gratitude for what you have done. And on this day as we celebrate Jesus riding triumphantly into Jerusalem, help us to reflect on who he truly is. Help us to truly worship not the Jesus of our own making, but the Jesus of your making, the Son of God, the Savior, the only one worthy of our worship and the only one worth following. Father, make that Jesus real to us. More real than we could ever, ever imagine. And now we take this moment in our service to recall the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. I'm going to pray over our elements. And then there are some uh, containers that should be uh, in the chairs in front of you. And in a moment, we're going to all sort of take communion together. So if you want to start uh, unpackaging. <laughs> I realize, I've been told that Sometimes those packages aren't the easiest to open. So. so we recall now that on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took bread and he asked his father to bless it and he gave thanks for it. And then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take this, all of you, and eat, for this is my body given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. 
And then later on in the meal, he took the cup. And again, he gave thanks for it. Asked his father to bless it. And then he gave this cup to his disciples. And he said, take this, all of you, and drink. For this is the cup of my blood. The blood of the new and everlasting covenant. Blood that was shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. So whenever you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, do so and remember me. So Father, we lift this simple meal up before you. We give you thanks. We give you thanks for the opportunity each week to remember why we gather, to remember the sacrifice that was made on our behalf, to remember your graciousness, your love, and your mercy, to remember who you are. So I ask that you now would bless these elements in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that you would consecrate them to be for us, your body and your blood. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. The body of Jesus given for you. And the blood of Jesus shed for you. Amen. Let's all bow our heads as we get ready to close and go into our ministry time. I'm pulling up some prayer requests. I'm not texting. If you have any type of need, you can see me or Pastor John. We will wave his hand and he'll be in the back. We'd be more than glad to pray with you. We believe that God can do anything and will do anything. Amen. We do have a couple prayer requests that came in online. One of them is from Cindy Lambert. Um, she's saying she just is having some issues and she wants us to pray. And just ask that God would just remove those issues from her life. And then we have someone named Max who is asking for humility. So we will go ahead and pray for that as well. And then we're also going to pray that some point this week, if you have not already, that you would encounter and receive a revelation of the real Jesus. So this will move from concept, from, because you can have it in your head, you can have it in your heart, but when you come in contact with the person of Jesus, encounter is a totally different thing. Because I can believe what I want to about, and I'll use you, about Charles in my head. I can believe in my heart. But until I actually encounter him face to face, I won't know who he actually is. Because I haven't really experienced him. It's all been in theory. So we're going to pray that you will experience the real Jesus. You may say, Chip, what does that mean? I guess you'll find out. 
That's up to him. Because he'll wreck you. He'll show up, scare you half to death. If you're not scared, it's probably not him. I'll tell you that right now. Because you can't encounter. Notice every time, well, almost every time, he's, he'd raise the dead or they'd see him being transfigured or they'd see him in his holiness. They were full of fear almost at first. Not a bad fear, but there's a holy reverence and a fear that accompanies it. And I think that's why a lot of people are afraid to encounter him. But once you do, you'll be changed forever. So, Father, we lift up Cindy, Lord, online, who is saying she has some issues that she just wants out of her life. Father, would you remove those issues right now? Lord, remove those issues, God, and I just pray that any damage those issues have caused would be repaired. Lord, for Max, who's asking for humility, Lord, we just ask that you would give him your humility. Teach him your ways. Teach him your ways. And Father, for every person watching online, Lord, every person in this room, if they don't know you, I ask that right now you would speak to their hearts. And if you want to know Jesus, all you've got to do is say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I accept you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me. And you rose from the dead. You don't even fully have to understand that, and you probably never will. But you just got to believe it. And if you're already walking with the Lord, and you say, man, my Jesus is dangerously close to some of these not-so-real Jesus, as Pastor Jeff said. It's time. It's time you encounter the real Jesus. Father, every person under the sound of my voice, I ask right now for a divine encounter. For a divine encounter with you, Jesus. Lord, that they will know they have been in the presence of Jesus that they will know they have been in the presence of the Messiah, of the King of Kings, of the Lamb of God. Lord, and that they would feel what it's like to just be in your midst, to be around such greatness, such power, such purity, such humility. Lord, let us encounter the God who created the universe but still washed feet. The God who allowed people to beat him brutally, but conquered death. The God that, the Jesus that transcends politics. The Jesus that transcends race. The Jesus that transcends ideologies. The Jesus that transcends economics. The Jesus that transcends denominations. Lord, help us experience the Jesus that was nailed to the cross for our sin. The Jesus that died for us. And the Jesus that we will spend eternity with. Lord, even if it's just a glimpse, let it be so, God. Let us stand in awe of the Holy One, of the Son of the living God. 
Lord, thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for the church beginning to, to come back to normal. But God, we don't even want normal. We want better. We want greater. And Lord, we just pray over our church right now a blessing and declare greater things are coming and that more people than we've ever experienced in the history of our ministry will come to know you. That more healings will happen. That more deliverances would happen. That more spiritual, spiritual growth would happen than ever before. This year, we're believing that. Lord, every person here, Lord, keep them safe. Bring us back together, Lord, in our small groups. Bring us back together on Sunday. Father, I pray that you would put someone in our path this week to invite to church next week as we celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, if you need prayer, please see me or John. Also, don't forget on your seats. Everybody grab one real quick. Hold them up. Hold them up. Hold them. It's okay. They won't bite you. Hold them up. <laughs> yeah, hold them up. Yeah, we... Get as many of these as you can. And I want you to leave them at gas stations. I want you to leave them in public restrooms. <laughs> no, don't leave them there. I want you to, I want you to leave them at work. See, you, don't have to t you can just secretly slot them like this. Give them to your friends. Give them to your family. We are... It's not about getting people to, to church. It's about getting people to Christ. And I know what Pastor Jeff is preaching, and I'm telling you, it is a message about salvation. It is a message about coming to know Jesus. If you have a lost person in your life, whether you like them or hate them, invite them to church next Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter, right? Okay, just checking. Invite them to church next Sunday. Grab as many as you need off the chairs. If you need more, see us. We have a box of them somewhere that we can pull out. But this is a push not to get people to church, but to get people to Jesus. Because we are talking about the real Jesus next week. We are talking about the cross. We are talking about Jesus. So don't let people walk by you. Don't let God just be like, that person, you could have changed their eternity. Because you do have that ability to have that impact. You can save someone, not literally, but you can save someone from hell by inviting them to meet the Lord Jesus. And you might say, that's heavy. We were having such a good time. Sorry. It's real. So I pray that the Lord would show you who that is. God bless you and hope you have a great week. See you next Sunday. And we are having breakfast at 930. At 9.30, it's free food too, so come on out.